Hello and welcome. This is Jack. That is Riley. This is Tasty Pints and Open Minds. For this interesting conversation, we had a man that goes by the name of Fitzpatrick. Vincent <laughs> Fitzpatrick. Vincent. The Fitzpatrick. one and only. The reason why there's so much intrigue in the way that I'm saying this is because if you go onto his LinkedIn or Tufts profile, there is nothing. No, this man is a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> He's an international man of mystery, literally. Riley? Yeah, he's been everywhere. He grew up in France, right? And he was born in Ireland, something like that. Irish, he's like fully Irish, Irish. He's French, he's bilingual, possibly trilingual. We don't really know. He's all around just such an impressive and mysterious guy. And he's a, a 3D printing teacher at Tufts. He's a biomedical engineer with the Kaplan Lab. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of research focusing on limb regeneration tissue engineering we talked a little bit about like the future of 3d printing in orthopedics and bone printing and just oh my god the stuff he's able to talk about and the way his mind works is fascinating yeah it was so cool we went on forever <laughs> no, this is a long him. one <laughs> um i i think that his knowledge is just so vast mm -hmm. um and he he has a deep understanding of things and also just such a curiosity that really came through with our conversation. Yeah. And you you get to see a lot more about the engineering side of medicine, something that we kind of touched on in a couple of the other podcasts, but seeing how he approaches different subjects that we would approach in totally different ways is, um, it's, it's very interesting. And I think you guys will learn to appreciate that side of it if you don't already. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, our interview with... Dr. Vincent Fitzpatrick. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Worldwide. <laughs> Thank <Welcome>. you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> you said you just got off the plane yesterday from France? Yeah. Yeah. Just got back from just a vacation one week. To, one week? Yeah. Just is, to... is one week enough to do France or international travel? No. No. <laughs> no. One week isn't enough to do Paris, I would say. <laughs> um, but you'd get you'd get a good feel for things, but uh, you wouldn't be able to explore everything now. Yeah. I actually just went to Italy, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now. Mm -hmm. First time out of the country, actually. Yeah. So I was completely shocked by, first off, travel time. And I bought, or I flew a red eye, so I tried to sleep overnight. Didn't sleep a wink. So I ended up staying up for like 40 hours right off the bat. Nice. It was horrible. I <laughs> I was so tired the entire trip. And by the end of like the one week, I was just getting used to the time difference. Yeah. So that when I came back, it messed me up all over again. Yeah. So I think you 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 make up an hour a day. So basically a week mm -hmm. is just enough to start feeling okay. <laughs> and then, and and then, then you're you back. back. <laughs> I wish someone told me that. <laughs> that would have been good to know. Do you have any tricks for jet lag? Not really. I think they say that. Plan like planning your meals is important, like making sure that you eat at the time of the country where you're going because it mm. gets your body like the circadian rhythm to kind of figure out, oh, okay, this is breakfast, this is lunch, yeah, whatever. But see, I just thought if I could keep myself awake 
and then pass out, it'll reset. And it didn't. Yeah. It didn't work at all. I was just tired the whole trip. <laughs> well, when you have when you have kids, then you're constantly in yeah. state, so you don't notice it. You don't have to yeah. worry about yeah. being tired. You're just always tired. Always the same. Yeah. <laughs> and you just recently had a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a second daughter in February, end of February. Wow. Congratulations! Congrats. How's it going? Yeah, good so far. So, so far, far so she did okay on the plane. Yeah, she did. It was her. It was her fourth transatlantic flight, so she's wow. getting used to it now. Oh, so That's she's a crazy. professional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three more than me, and she's what twenty-one <laughs> years younger. She's, yeah. yeah, five months. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So. And. You guys are planning on going over there again for a, a good bit of time, right? Yeah, so end of uh, September, uh, well, for October 1st, I'm starting a position in Compiègne, which is a city like an hour north of Paris. Awesome. And so for the foreseeable future, we'd be located in France, yeah. Wow. That's exciting. And you were there before you came over to the U.S.? Yeah, so I did. Actually, I, so so just, a, I suppose, a bit of background yeah. about oh, me. Oh, yeah, we should probably do that first. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, my entire family is Irish, but um, my parents moved to France just a few weeks, like two or three weeks before I was born. And so I grew up in France, so I kind of... It's always Irish in France and French in Ireland. But uh, so I did my studies there. I did uh, biochemistry and then biome- uh, biomaterials and biomechanics in the same city, actually, Compiègne, in the same university. Oh, that's awesome. Back. So you get yeah. to go back. Wow. Yeah. And then I did my PhD more in like south, southeast of France in a city called Grenoble, which is near the Italian border. And so then during my master's, I had come over to Tufts and uh, was working on a biomedical optics, basically. We were developing a fluorescence lifetime imaging system. Mm. And so that's where I kind of my first experience of the U.S. And so when when I finished my Ph.D., when I was getting towards the end of my Ph.D., I was like, I really want to come back to Tufts and to Boston. And obviously, Professor Kaplan is very famous in the field of biomaterials. And so I reached out to him and... We had a, a 6 a.m. interview oh my <laughs> in person, uh, which, um, was, which was... That was yeah. a test. That was your first test. When he had suggested several times, he'd suggested 6, 7, 8, or 9. He wakes up very, <laughs> so very early. So they're all early, yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I can't say 8 or 9 because I look lazy if I do that. <laughs> so I said 7. And he ended up having a breakfast meeting at 7. <laughs> oh, so he no. said, I can do 6 or 8. So I said, well... Six sounds like Six fun. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So went to Starbucks at five a.m. Got a big coffee and <laughs> went to the interview. But we got a had a really good yeah wow. really good conversation and that was and it. you've been at the Kaplan Lab for how long? Since January twenty eighteen. So oh, four and a half years. Over four and a half years. Wow. Now. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I I was looking at your profile um, page on his website before this, doing a little bit of research and. The only sentence was, I am just beginning my research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was your well, whole, That was your the entire blur. profile page. And I was like, oh. Um, yes, I probably should there? update that. I'm finishing my research here. I'm yeah. just beginning, but I'm also leaving in yeah. uh, five months. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I wasn't aware that I had a profile page, to be honest. So it's good to well, know. At least now you know. Yeah. yeah. Just in time to okay. delete it later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, though. That's really cool. I 
I'm fascinated with international um, travel and culture, and I'd always wanted to get overseas. I was very, very fortunate to be able to go to Italy for the first time, um, but I really want to go to France. Yeah. I took French classes for, uh, I think, four years in high school, and I was obsessed with the culture. And I really want to get over there because I also don't get a chance to try and use French while I'm here or learn it or practice it anywhere. I wish, actually, I can't even say I wish someone told me that Spanish would be more practical because everyone told me that I should probably (laughs) study Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I went to Quebec once, I think. And I and then I got too nervous to even try speaking. It, French, it'll so. sound very different <laughs> in France too. The accents are very very different. Yeah. Uh, even sometimes we have trouble understanding. Not people from Montreal, but people from more rural Quebec might have their own expressions, their own way of speaking. Totally. Are you natively French speaking then? If you grew, you grew up there for most of it. Yeah. Life? So basically, my entire life. I don't remember learning either language, so essentially... <laughs> oh, so, yeah, just both. Yeah. So with my parents, even now, and my brother, we still speak uh, in English, and the rest of my family, obviously. And then I learned French, I'm assuming, you know, kindergarten, preschool. Oh, wow. Right. Uh, I should ask my parents, I suppose, but I never... <laughs> but I don't remember, like, struggling to learn the new language, so both are very natural to me yeah wow and where in ireland is your family from so my dad was born in wicklow which is uh, pretty close to dublin and my mom is from dublin but they both grew up and and lived in dublin wow that's awesome i'm also like half irish too and so my family is from cork oh nice southern boy yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i um I had only been over there one time too. That was my only time to Europe, also. Yeah. But we were in Galway. And nice. Kind of around. How there. did you like it? It's so. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We. Uh, I can't remember which beach we were on, but it was an early morning one day, and there were just like so many surfers out. Yeah. Um. It was on our our pass. We were going kind of going towards like the cliffs of Moher. Yeah. And so there's just a bunch of surfers there. out there. I was like, wow. Yeah. So, so you had a proper pint of Guinness anyway when you were there. <laughs> well, I was super young. I that doesn't I, matter. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a full pint of Guinness, but I I had I had to have some sips. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I was also I was like eight. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> eight or nine. Wait, speaking of pints. Speaking of pints, we have the pint today. This is the, the introduction. Pint, the pint of the day. <laughs> pint of the day brought to you by my roommates. Uh, cooler so these are ones that i found in maine uh there's a big craft beer culture in maine mm-hmm. um my dad partakes big time he he travels goes around finds all these really cool things and so i picked out something that was new england but from mast landing it's a brewing company and so it's called you love to see it and it's oh, uh, new that. england ipa with strawberries Beautiful. Nice. And oh, so this is awesome. It seemed like a cool name for us to have. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. That's beautiful. So that's what we got. Nice. Well, thank you. It has 976 pounds of strawberries in every... Uh, every pint. Oh. Every pint. 
Yeah, heavy pipes. <laughs> heavy pipes. That's impressive. Take that. How'd they VA. fit it in there. <laughs> this this bottle's cool too. Yeah. You got this in Maine. Got it in Maine at this like a uh, country store. Yeah, it's very retro. It's like a like a kind of seventies maybe look now to it. It smells really good. It smells like strawberries. Who would have thought? Oh, it's nice. Oh, it's very smooth. Pretty yeah. good. I like it. Yeah, it's good. That's a good choice. Cool. Have you had you had one? Of <laughs> no, before? I I thought I saw the name and I was like, this is seems like a sick name. Well, the strawberry flavor isn't overpowering either. No, it's, it has like that IPA bitterness to it. But, yeah. There are a lot of times where you have um, fruity IPAs or especially sours where it's just so overwhelming that it kind of takes over the beer. But this yeah. is really really perfect, like a fruit bomb. Yeah, yeah, I it's, like this. It's good. Well done. I don't know. Good yeah. job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kennebunkport, Maine. Kennebunkport. Cool to, place. Want to make it up there sometime. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. I, I guess we should talk about actual work now for a short period of time, at least. While we have you. While we yes. have you. <laughs> so you've been working at the Kaplan Lab for, we said, a little bit over four years now, yeah. four and a half years. What are some of like the more exciting projects that you've had a chance to partake in and i mean four and a half years in one sense is a while but it's also not long enough to get some of those bigger projects really going you know? yeah it definitely flew by uh, more than i expected but well so when i first started so my phd was on uh, single cell patterning so we're using micro contact printing on biomaterials to generate little islands of mixture of extracellular matrix proteins and growth factors and so essentially very fundamental very much focused on signaling pathways and how we could control cell spreading cytoskeletal tension and how that would impact and then growth factor presentation and how those would impact how a cell was going to choose i suppose its its lineage and, and so we we're working on transdifferentiation of muscle cells towards bone. And so I was really interested in bone. I was really interested in biomaterials. I really liked this idea of kind of biomimetic systems and using extracellular proteins, using their domains of affinity for growth factors as a way Mm -hmm. of presenting growth factors in a more um, physiologically relevant uh, way and also then crosstalk between integrins and growth factor receptors on cells. And so I really liked that, but I also wanted to kind of move more towards applied engineering. So essentially trying, rather than studying specifically signaling pathways more, how can we actually implement some of these ideas at more of a macro scale and to help patients. Mm-hmm. And so during my conversation with David, that was that was kind of one of the things that I talked about. And so he said that he had some projects linked to orthopedics and bone, and in particular projects that uh, explored 3D printing as, a, as an approach for that. And so I didn't know much about 3D printing. I knew of it, obviously, but I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a, an expert at it. But I thought it was really cool, and I was excited about working on it. So that was my first project working with David was essentially developing new bone cements that integrated silk that would be degradable and that could be uh, deposited uh, using extrusion-based bioprinting to recreate the volume but allow new cells to form, allow degradation and also functional, like functional with growth factors to 
encourage um, bone growth. So that was that's still wow. like a, a pretty core part of my research uh, at the Kaplan Lab. If I had to say what's the like coolest and craziest project, I would say we're working on uh, the Biodome project, which is essentially more of a... Which sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the name is... Sick. Biodome. <laughs> and so that's a more of a... Almost like a wearable bioreactor system through to allow limb regeneration. So essentially, we're trying to create an environment where an entire limb, or in our case, a, a digit of of a mouse, will be able to grow back. So I'm I'm one of many people involved in this project, um, but it's very cool to actually picture being able to grow back entire limbs. So with the complexity. Uh, the tissue and the, the soft tissue, the bone, the vasculature, the innervation, yeah. everything together. With that particular limb regeneration, do you look towards examples like in nature at all about the kind of proteins that are being expressed and growth factors that are being expressed? Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's kind of a, there are two. Uh, approaches that are kind of coming together with this project which is one of the things that i find very cool about it one is more looking towards nature towards towards systems that regenerate uh, quite efficiently in nature you know axolotl is is yeah. the most famous example um but there are examples in mammals you know if you look at deer antlers for example they grow and fall right. off every year made of bone they're vascularized uh, they grow at an incredibly fast rate, so something on the order of like a centimeter a day sometimes. Yeah. So, so really, like incredible, but still in a mammal system. So that kind of approach, which is more biology based, and then also an approach which is more tissue engineering based. So we understand the role of certain factors on growth, and we are trying to kind of rationally use them in a way that that will promote growth and different stages of regeneration while taking into account things like inflammation which is necessary but also can prevent proper regeneration so you're kind of it's a very delicate balance of a lot of different complex pathways but yeah wow well yeah that i I mean (laughs) it's essentially taking a sci-fi movie and turning it into reality you're talking about fully regenerating limbs based on things that we see in nature yeah yeah if it works if it works uh, if it works and we have some (laughs) we have some promising data we have we have things that are that are definitely pushing the right direction but it is it is very complicated it's very your your readout is very far from your from when you when you actually do the experiment so Mm -hmm. you because things take a while to grow so it's one of those things it's actually exactly the opposite from my phd my phd we had readouts at four hours so we we're looking at specific transcription factors being upregulated yeah. after four hours it's wonderful you know do the experiment in the morning in the afternoon the you know if that fast here you know you amputate put on the biodome come back you know Six months later, I say, hey, does anything grow? So, oh, it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, six more months. So it's it's like a, a much more. You have to be much more patient and much more you know systematic in your approach and and think about everything in advance. So it's it's a diff, different exercise for sure. I wonder if that. So we learned a lot about um, phantom limb syndrome from people who've had limbs lost or amputated or something along those lines, and. I wonder if down the line, if the regenerative experiments do end up succeeding, if 
those could be fixed as well. Because if you're giving them back the feeling in those limbs, yeah, it's, it's very possible that you could completely cure that. Uh, on top of you know giving them a functioning limb, limb yeah. again, but I think down down the line it's it's something definitely. I mean, this is what we're we're going for essentially restoring uh, actual tissue, native tissue to people with amputations. I think in in the in the medium short to medium term, we're looking more at at smart prosthesis um, companies like Psionic who are making. Uh, prosthesis, cheap prosthesis with haptic feedback. So essentially wow. where you can not just control your your prosthetic, but you can also touch things and, and have a feeling. So mm. one of the famous That's experiments wild. they did was they emptied an egg. So they just had the empty eggshell and the person was blindfolded and they had to pick it up and handle it and put it back. And they did. First time, wow. you know, no no practice. That's no. unbelievable. Wow. So, so I think if we're looking and and this comes back to three D printing, we we have a this is something that was allowed and made possible through three D printing because use of cheaper materials, which allowed more kind of cost effective approach. It's a really cool company. We 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 with the three D printing class that I teach, we actually have them guest lecture every year. But I think that's if we're looking at limb regeneration and restoring function short to medium term or more solutions like that whereas the tissue engineering biological approach is more long term yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think we're just barely breaking into the to the potential of 3d printing in medicine as a whole too i mm. we were doing a little bit of research beforehand especially on organ regeneration and 3d printing organs and i know that's still very much in in the trials and in the phases but there were a lot of promising results about that yeah yeah uh 3d printing organs is kind of the the dream of (laughs) of, uh bioprinting and it's it's not a unachievable dream but it's with the students always try to manage expectations with this where yes saying yes there's this this lab that printed 3d printed a, a tiny little heart and it looks nice and it's made with cardiomyocytes and everything but uh, and it's it's amazing work. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but we're still very far from a functional heart, either both in size, in complexity, and even just the, the even just the pump function of the heart, coordinating those those cardiomyocytes. Um, so the heart, in a way, is not necessarily the most complex organ to to three D print. So I think we're still a few decades away from you know solving you know the issues with with donor organs for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. but definitely the field is moving in that direction and there is a lot of advances what i like with a lot of the research that i do is i'm closer to more actual concrete applications right. which is gives me a lot of satisfaction the idea just that hey maybe in 10 years you know somebody will we have a lot of dental applications somebody will be able to grow a backbone in their mandibula because through a process like the one I'm working on. And I, I always, I, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a bit vain, but I, I like the idea that, <laughs> that, 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 that I, just the day that happens and that feeling that you're going to have is, yeah. you already know. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool too. But like, that's kind of how it goes. Like all of science, you stand on the shoulders of 
Yeah, of giants. Yeah, mm-hmm. done stuff before. Um, that's really cool. I I was thinking about in this lab in particular. There's kind of like a biomechanics side of things and testing out different devices. I was wondering about 3D printing some kind of scaffolding that is similar in structure to kind of the way that osteons are formed in the bone, and maybe for an application of tracking the biomechanics of an actual fracture of that bone. Is that something that... Yeah, it's exactly... Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah so, so it's a really good point. It's, it's exactly the kind of thing that I'm moving towards and, and increasing. So basically using our ability to generate structures controlled and controlled deposition at different scales essentially and use that as a way to recreate some of that hierarchical structure of bone which is what gives bone its its um its mechanical properties so in particular if you look at cortical bone and that osteonal structure and that you know structure between the collagen and the hydroxyapatite uh how can you at various scales recreate that and then at the macro scale we for example, taking a CT scan of a patient and having that match as as well as possible with the actual uh, anatomy of the patient to promote better integration. And then for the second part, which is exactly what, what uh, I think is a very cool potential application of 3D printing, is essentially saying, well, okay, in this case we have you know, a femur and, the, and we're missing, you know, two or three centimeters of the femur and we want to replace that with a scaffold and we know that these forces that this scaffold will be subject to these types of forces mm. you know standing sitting uh, running whatever you're doing how can we maximize the potential of our material through the deposition method to have the best possible mechanics so how can we create a structure that's as smart as possible based on the type of forces that we know this scaffold would be subject to. And that right. I think is really cool. And that's where biomechanics and biomaterials and manufacturing approaches like 3D printing really come together. Right. So in like actual bone growth and regeneration, when you subject the bone to stress or mechanical stress, you know, you're compressing it and you're feeding back on the osteoclast and the osteoblast so that you're allowed to build bone is this material that you're working with going like is it through the same process or do you guys have to essentially replicate that process with what you're working on so one of the challenges of what we're working on is we're working with degradable materials so normally these will be remodeled and similarly to native bone but so you need to have them maintain their mechanical integrity long Mm -hmm. enough that they will allow cells to infiltrate to adhere to start differentiating to start making bone before they start degrading and this is a challenge like if you compare it to titanium titanium you know you know it's it's in there and it's in there forever but what i i like the idea of a degradable material in the sense that i like the idea that we're just giving the body that little push it needs to do what it knows how to do essentially it knows how to fix fractures Bone mm-hmm. like repairs extraordinarily well. You can break your same bone fifty times and it'll keep repairing itself. So yeah, you're essentially re- you're you're pretty much giving the cells that are 
continually doing this regenerative process a scaffold to do their work on. Yeah, exactly. And so essentially where, where oh. because we want a very poor structure, and this is where a lot of the work more and more uh, we're doing is, is maintaining an extremely poor structure, but still keeping good mechanics, which usually this is, mm. you know, as you <laughs> increase porosity and your mechanics go, go down. But we want, and we're promoting infiltration of blood vessels, we're promoting the infiltration of nerves, both of which are known to improve bone differentiation and, and regenerative outcomes. And then to maintain that porosity, so you could just do a uniformly porous material, but to we're trying to basically control that porosity in a way that's as smart as possible. So I actually teach this in the class to essentially using tools like topology optimization, which have been used for some time in, in mechanical engineering, for example. So essentially you say, well, this object needs to be as porous as possible. Where can I remove material while minimizing the impact on the mechanics that I'm looking for? So you have specific areas that are constrained, specific areas that are loaded, and you're using those to print a dense structure where where material is needed and and print a very poor structure where material is not needed as much. That's such a, a fascinating application of engineering into medicine because I think that in a lot of medicine there's an overlap between the mathematical nature of engineering and physics that people don't really pay attention to. Yeah. And I think it's just it's really really interesting to think about especially because mathematics is not my strong suit and that's not something that i was necessarily intrigued by when i was coming into medicine but then you have other people who are in our class and in our medical school that focused on that stuff and they're able to do a whole subset of i don't know experiences and whatnot that i simply don't have the capacity to do well, more and more, there are tools that do a lot of the hard, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is nice. But but that that overlap, I think, is a really good point, and it's definitely something that we feel. I I often think about uh, buildings. Basically, when when you're designing a building, you want it to be as empty as possible. Essentially, you want most of the space is going to be occupied by by people. You see, you're in this room, and since you have four walls that are holding this room up and, and avoiding that the, the ceiling falls on us, but they're allowing us to you know, move around and interact in this room. So yeah. essentially what we're trying to create for the cells is something similar. Yeah. And so I, I look a lot at like architecture and, and, and tools connected with architecture or, or civil engineering uh, as a way of, of also saying, well, how would you approach this at a very different scale but for a, a similar outcome that you're looking for, a, a very strong but hollow uh, object, essentially. Right. That is so cool, though. I didn't know that was... Um, I read a few of your papers that were out there, but I didn't realize that that was one of the things that you were looking at, too, uh, having to do with the bone. and. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we go over it a lot in class, but we don't necessarily... Uh, we haven't published on it much just yet. But it's, it's it's something I think understanding how to deposit materials in the best possible way, mm. and people do it a lot. You see it in in the field three D printing in general for speed. Basically, how can you 
optimize your tool path to make, print things as fast as possible, which makes sense since most people are trying to minimize. 3D printing is, tends to be pretty slow. Yeah. So you're trying to optimize that time. But you can do it, but it doesn't have to be speed that you're optimizing for. It can be mechanics. You know? Right. The same object printed in a very uniform manner versus a kind of heterogeneous but yeah. rationally kind of designed approach can, can be better. Yeah, I think like a thing that would be interesting, I don't know how the application would actually happen like in reality, but in nature, like in bone, part of what determines the architecture of whatever structure you're making are like those force vectors. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if there's some way that you could incorporate that to the printer itself. Like that could yeah. see if you could put forces of sorts to make it like a trabecular bone structure, like while it's being printed. Yeah. But so that's, exactly, you'd have the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what we're, what we're trying to, incorporating in the slicing so that when you go from a from your 3d object to a really series of of commands for the for the printer you're going to basically cut your object your 3d object into a series of layers and you're going to say this 2d layer we're going to fit it in a certain way and so you can incorporate in that you know a cortical aspect versus a trabecular aspect mm -hmm. uh, areas that are reinforced areas that are that are less dense and see how your structure comes out and you can do this experimentally which is uh, extremely time consuming and tedious <laughs> or you can try to use simulations which is kind of the route we're going with right actually this was this was a kind of a funny um this whole idea was from a an event i went at daso systems who that developed solidworks and they're involved in this i can't remember the name of of the project but it's like a heart simulation project and so essentially what they tried to do was to do what they do with cars where they have modeled every single component of the car and so most crash tests are done virtually essentially they're done in silico you run your car against against a wall and see how each screw each rivet mm -hmm. each part of the car will bend or will deform and then at the end you take a real car and do it and confirm that what the simulation right. spat out was, was good. And I remember seeing this, I mean, like, we should do this. <laughs> this is a way that's, I mean, it's it's a lot of work to set things up. But like, compared to a, a very experimental approach, like, it's much smarter. You're like, you can change a parameter on the fly and have the simulation run it and see how that parameter will affect. Right. Uh, each each thing so that's definitely where i'm pushing my research more and more yeah what do you see as some of the the limits to the research that you're doing i mean obviously finances because it, it's an expensive process there's a lot of time consumption but then also you know how once this does eventually work out because i have faith in this i think it's a it's already showing success and when it does work out how do you go about um, figuring out accessibility to the structures because there's always going to be that like that limitation mm -hmm. to who is able to actually access this material and that's going to fall back to financing i imagine so from a patient perspective like end end kind of consumer or... i guess both so in terms of limitations to the studies that you're doing now that might limit your progress that you're able to make and then once you do eventually get to that point how 
and I know that's not necessarily your job as a as the engineer yeah. behind it, but how do we make this something that might be more accessible to the general public? Okay. So current limitations. Well, funding funding isn't too bad actually. And this is one of the, the advantages of working in a lab that's that's big that where we do write a lot of grants and we do mm-hmm. apply a lot and and we do a lot of, we do we do a lot of good work. So we we have funding that that follows with it. So funding isn't too bad. I think it's also there's such a wide range of expertise required to do a lot of the things that I I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. That I have to t- keep teaching myself a lot of a lot gotcha. of things. I have some very talented undergrads uh, that work with me, a couple of PhD students that are great as well. So that has been a huge help in pushing things from just an idea in my head to something that's actually feasible. But essentially, you have to. Nobody knows everything <laughs> and so you but you kind of have to have a, a good grasp on a lot of different things so figuring out the right collaborations and and working through that then i'd say the main limitation is just time, time. Like, yeah absolutely time. i mean if you're taking six months to <laughs> find your results that's yeah. <laughs> with that and just and just even there's only so many hours in the day yeah. and and once once they're full they're full and you'd want to keep things moving faster but yeah there's only only so much time then more on the perspective of how does this get to patients and to helping people and to as wide a patient base as possible. I think this is this is one of the great things of 3D printing. It's it's actually a fairly accessible technology in the sense that people are now more and more hobbyists have 3D printers at home. You can take a, a commercially available you know 3D printer that costs you know two three hundred dollars and modify it to make it a bioprinter with relatively little expertise. And then where a lot of the heavy lifting goes is, is developing the, the software cap- capability that will allow you to you know, print things in as smart a manner as possible, or this print in a, in a changing environment. There's some papers that came out of, of having, they were printing sensors directly onto a pig lung while the, the pig is breathing. So un, un, right, it's, not, it's somewhat predictable, but mostly unpredictable movement of the substrate where you're printing. Mm-hmm. And so how do you have an adaptive tool path that's going to follow? Uh, follow yeah. So essentially you're saying print a layer, but it actually has to do this. While because it's moving, while it's yeah, moving. you follow with it. Oh, my goodness. So that's incredibly complicated to, to do. Uh, and I wish I could remember the name of the team so to give them credit, but look at <laughs> out. They printed a sensor on a pig lung, and it well, was that, amazing. That wasn't your team. It that wasn't. Was it. <laughs> no, I wish. No. Uh, but so, yeah, so, so essentially something like that is going to be very heavy in the R&D side, but once it's out there, anyone could implement it. So you can actually see this more as a way of bringing pretty advanced capabilities to areas where there isn't necessarily the medical expertise to have a surgeon do some of these operations, but essentially you could imagine oh. the future, you just have a printer there, you know, and it doesn't. Um, unmanned missions, well, not unmanned, manned missions to, you know, Mars or, or longer expeditions to the moon or the ISS, you know, what if you don't have, you know, all the different surgical expertise you need 
when maybe you have a robot that incorporates can do it. yeah obviously not now not in the t- next 10 years yeah. but 50 years you know why not um so that's where i see things potentially going incorporating machine learning incorporating which is already being incorporated in the clinic quite a bit incorporating computer vision and we'll see that's that's how i i like to picture the future <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so cool you de- i mean you definitely have to have that kind of like foresight in a way i think yeah. to be dealing in like a science like this yeah. but something like that typically for somebody like me who my, my background is biochemistry biomechanics and biomaterials trying to look into things like like machine learning a computer vision like simulation is is time consuming because it's a whole new field which with its own expertise that i have to if not i mean i don't I, i'm not going to be an expert in any of these things but but that i at least have to have a uh, sufficient knowledge about that i can talk with experts in the field if you, if you know what i mean mm-hmm. so you can't just you can't just be a wide-eyed picture of what machine learning is you have to actually understand what yeah. how that requires yeah i think so you know a, a general transplant of a kidney costs over four hundred thousand dollars per kidney transplant so if you're talking about all you need is a singular machine and again this is very far down the line but something that can print the kidney and then assist in the actual replacement of it you're cutting that cost dramatically all you need is the material to actually print the organ but then the singular sunken cost of the printer yeah and then outside of that you're cutting down on surgical time of the actual surgeon you're cutting down on the need to go find the organ, get the organ, bring it over. Yeah. I think it's just, again, it'll take a long time, but the potential benefits from that are astounding. Yeah, well, you're moving a lot of the cost from like the last stage of the process to actually the first stage. Basically, all the yeah. cost is in investment in R&D and figuring things out. But at the end, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Whereas currently... A lot of the cost, you know, is is in the OR and and it's the the surgeon's expertise and it's that room and like you said that the time that's spent uh, in the operating room. Three D printing has already helped, you know, decrease some of those times for complex operations. It's not uncommon for surgeons to three uh, D print the, you know, one example was the, the uh, hearts of conjoined twins that were fused together. And so, you know, they, they 3D printed the both hearts and the model of them so that they could look at different ways that they could intervene and how they could separate these conjoined twins uh, while minimizing risk, obviously, for the patients, minimizing operating time. So from, from a cost perspective, having a surgeon spend, you know, a few hours on a model in a non-surgical non-sterile setting mm-hmm. and then be able to carry out the operation that much faster and yeah. that much more efficiently so it's great so yeah and that's really 3d printing where where i think there are two things two aspects where it comes in very useful one is is that idea this patient tailored systems whether it be models whether it be implant scaffolds how you can adapt surgical guides are used frequently in 3d print to how can you make 
your surgery and and your your approach as specific to this patient's like specific situation and then the other thing is is i've saw we saw a lot with covid uh, essentially people manufacturing things basically moving away from one large factory that is making everything for everyone to essentially you know a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand people with 3d printers in their home that are making you know it was face masks or ear preservers for masks or ventilators respirators or different parts that they were they were making them for you know 20 50 100 people around them but if there's enough of those people around then you've actually it doesn't matter that your factory is closed because of covid because you have thousands of factories all across the country so from a manufacturing perspective it was really interesting to see that to see these groups on reddit on facebook on a bunch of different social media sites coming together to see what the needs were in different areas and how they could print for for doctors you know for for even just for regular people yeah yeah i was in the or this was in the end of undergraduate so this was three years ago now something like that and i was watching a, a vascular surgery they did a femoral aneurysm removal yeah. Um, and the aneurysm had gotten into the point where it kind of connects to, I think it was the inferior epigastric or the, it, it comes down uh, either way. It's like a, a Y shape. Um, and what they had to do was they had to slice open both and they had to slice open the full Y shape to get everything out yeah. and to replace it. They pretty much took two widened straws sewed them together into a Y shape, stuck it in there. And they were like, now it won't constrict that much. Like the straws will keep it open. And looking back at that, thinking about the 3d printing and stuff, you know how easy it would be in comparison to just be able to print a shape that almost exactly fits the size of that person's arteries Yeah, and then replace it into that. And that'll save the time of them having to think of what to do mm. and, you know, potential loosening of the sutures that they use to create that Y-shaped straw. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. That's exactly where 3D printing is, like, super useful. Yeah, yeah. And if you incorporate it into the OR, you can, you know, you can do it kind of based on imaging methods if that's possible. But if you could even bring that, that ability to generate the model into the OR, then you could imagine that 3D printer is there in the OR and, you know, you open up the patient, you see what the situation is. And based on that situation, the 3D printer generates the construct, which you then mm. use. I mean, you can imagine anything, but but it, it this is definitely on the cards within the next few years to have 3D printers in the OR ready to generate patient-specific constructs. Yeah, That's incredible. That's going to be such a wild advancement just to the procedures that you learn in the OR, but like just the ability to actually treat the patient, cut down on risk of infection with them being open for longer, cut down on the cost for the hospital, increase patient safety. I don't know. This is just such a cool concept. Yeah. I'm wondering like when people get on board with incorporating this into like the medical training, even like first, I'm sure it's going to be like in residency, but even if you go back a little bit further, just learning maybe about like these biopolymers and um, like very similar kinds of structures. Yeah. And there's already a shift in, in 
3D printing in general, not bioprinting, but a lot of the lessons of if you have a 3D printer at home and you're printing with PLA or ABS or whatever, there's a lot that you're already developing in terms of understanding how the technology works. And I see now kids coming out of high school, a lot of them have already actually spent, mm. you know, a couple of years messing around with a 3D printer. You know, cheapest ones on the market are 200 bucks. So it's a fairly low investment to learn something that can be very cool. And so people do it, you know, they make, you know, little figurines or whatever, like hobby yeah. stuff. Maybe the ones right Yeah, exactly. The yeah, yeah. This little Iron, Iron Man, Man guy behind <laughs> us. I recognize the, the, ditto the ditto is from my class. <laughs> is it? Yeah. The ditto's from your class? Yeah, I think the the cylinder next to it is from my class yeah. too. There we go. These were little engineering right. oh, so challenges. You've already left your mark on the podcast yeah. before you were I have here. a ditto in my car that Shawnee yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> so so this summer, the, the 3D printing class, we had engineering challenges every week. So the ditto was it had to be printed, I think, in less than an hour, but as large as possible. So you yeah. have to figure out how, where can you trim mass off and where can you, you know, make speeds as fast as possible. And the the cylinder next to it looks like a, like a cha- the challenge for the mechanical strength. Oh no, it's not. No. Oh, this is. But this was another thing. But yeah, this is from the class too. A little, <laughs> a little ship inside. Yeah. <laughs> ship in a bottle. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. And how long have you been teaching at Tufts? Have you been the whole time? Uh, Work in the lab. No. So I, I I did a couple of guest lectures at first in in a couple of classes on three D printing and and silk-based materials. And then I started teaching two years ago. So a couple of classes, which were more sophomore-level classes, proteins and tissue engineering uh, and and things like that. And then people were asking me a lot about 3D printing, like students, uh, you know, after, after a guest lecture, a lot of people would come up and say, like, oh, this is really cool. How can we learn this stuff? And so... I kind of realized that there wasn't a an actual class at Tufts that taught you know these kids how to think about three D printing and think about three D printing specifically in a in a medical context. And so we, but I I suggested a class, and so Tufts has this system where you can propose a class, a special topics class, and if enough people are interested and sign up, they will you know have it happen. And then if the feedback from those classes is positive enough, then they'll, they'll kind of integrate it into, into the, the curriculum. And so it was, it was surprisingly popular, which was really nice. Because yeah. I thought there'd be like 10 to 15 people. And it'd be very informal and very conversational mm-hmm. and go through things. And in August, like, like a few weeks before the class started, I, I looked up at the enrollment rate and there was like 36 people. So, oh no, what did I get into? Organize things much more, much better. Yeah. And then I did again this summer, and on both times, the feedback was, was very positive. So, we, we're integrating it now into the curriculum. So, oh, there's awesome. somebody else will be doing it in the spring, and I'll be coming back. Uh, for a few weeks in the summer to teach it. And we're actually doing an intermediate class now too, uh, where the students will learn how to build uh, their own bioprinter. So essentially take a commercially available FTM printer, take it apart and transform it into a a bioprinter. So that should be pretty cool. That's, we're hoping 
to propose that for next summer as a kind of intermediate level class. So sweet. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's really fun. really cool. So yeah, it's it's been uh it's been great. I mean, Tufts has been great in, and David, uh, wonderful in allowing me to kind of see if people were interested and mm-hmm. and and push that forward. But yeah. Are you gonna be able to continue this work when you get over to France? The the research or the the, the teaching. I guess both. Is there a place? Because you said you did your PhD in the same area, right? It was yeah my my uh, my masters. Your masters. Yeah. Are you gonna able to? be able to kind of t- teach maybe through that same program yeah something similar so essentially guest lecturers at first and then we'll see if if there's a if there's demand for the 3d printing class too um the research i'd be carrying out there is uh quite similar to what i'd be doing here and i'm keeping a close uh collaboration with with david we have a couple of phd students who just started uh which were so we'll keep working on those projects together and then and then I'll be coming back for yeah four to six weeks every summer. Well, as long as they'll have me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> for <laughs> kick you out after three weeks, that's <laughs> enough. <laughs> but to uh, to teach these these three D printing classes, so essentially it'll be uh, our American vacation yeah. with my family, there and we're gonna do that. So that should be fun. Looking forward to that. That's really cool. That's um, cool. <laughs> uh, is there? a big difference between how the research process works in France versus how it works here? Because I know we're very headstrong about funding research and development and incentivizing innovation. I don't know how it works when you get a, um, international. Yeah, it's definitely different. There's less funding in general. More and more, though, there are European grants uh, like the ERC, which, which the ERC starting grant, which will allow young researchers to do like enough funding to do some very cool research. But in general, you're working on a tighter budget than here uh, for most people in most situations, which, so I don't know which came first, but there's a very different culture around research where in France anyway, people are maybe more cautious, more risk adverse than here. Here I find there's a very um, experimentally driven kind of approach people are like let's try it let's see. Like if it doesn't work we did it yeah, we tried exactly yeah. uh in france people will tend to be a bit more cautious and would be well let's make sure that it can work before we do any experiments and there's advantages to both it's it's good to you know delve deep into the literature and see what has been done before starting your own thing but it's also nice to be able to generate data quickly and, you know, have tried a few things and figure out your, your own way. So definitely very different cultures and very different approaches to research. I've enjoyed both. I've enjoyed both. It's hard to say. I, 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 like, I do like the ability to just be like, hey... I'm going to try this. Let's do it. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sounds I have cool. this crazy idea yeah, exactly. and be able to do let's it. Let's just do it and let's see. So, yeah, but we'll see in France Yeah, what it's like. Do you have a timeline for how long you want to stay in France or is it more see how it goes? Yeah, see how it goes. It's it's indefinite at this point. I mean, the, there's no plans to go come back to the U.S. or to go elsewhere. Uh you know, if, if opportunities arise, 
you know, see see how things go. But yeah, for now, France is the plan. And you said when do you when do you move over there? Uh, September thirtieth. September thirtieth. So you're gonna be over there for the World Cup when France yes. has a legitimate chance Ooh. to make a run. Yes, I'm not a big football guy. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no. Come on. I mean, all of France. You you kind of have to be a little bit of a follower. <laughs> no, no, no. I, mean, uh, I follow. I there used goes. to follow the rugby, uh, uh, but even the rugby, I haven't followed in in, in years now. I, I wouldn't be knowledgeable on any of it. And football just never never got into it. Never caught your eye. No. Jack took offense to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My friends do as well. They're very into it, but. Um, I'm I'm sure I hear about it. They, yeah, yeah, you'll <laughs> hear yeah, yeah. somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Actually, Tour de France, football, even rugby. Now, I, I haven't. I don't follow that much. Formula right? One. No, no. <laughs> rugby not. was rugby was the, the what I used to follow the most, and it's been years now that I haven't, like property yeah it's just too much too much work to do or just kind of fall out of it too many kids too many well, kids. <laughs> yeah, a bit of everything also like uh in france i would follow it usually you know with a group of friends you'd go to a pub have a few pints yeah watch the game um which obviously don't do as much here people don't follow rugby much here instead it's come to the lab uh, at 11 a.m enjoy a few yeah. pints <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the other thing is then your your the games are going to be in the middle of the day uh, here, which, yeah, which makes that's a great point harder. But no, I'm sorry, yeah. I wish I was I was more. Uh... No, I agree. I <laughs> I wish I was more into it too. My um my best friend from home is a huge Liverpool supporter, yeah. and so he's up at six thirty in the morning on Saturdays to watch the game. I'm like, I just yeah. I can't find that that's motivation dedication. to wake up that early. <laughs> I like them, but I'll yeah. watch the highlights later, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I tried to get it. I tried to watch uh, American football, and I tried to watch baseball when I got here. Oh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> baseball's no not the one to watch. <laughs> I I enjoyed the the atmosphere of Fenway Park. Fenway's awesome. Yeah, Fenway is really really cool. But it's slow. It made me think it's of long. cricket. It's long. Like cricket, people just sit there and watch for like five <laughs> or six hours. Like, I just can't do it. Yeah, even American football is is long. Actually, it's a uh, pretty. Uh, but I but there's a whole I think there's a whole different culture around it where people you know yeah, take absolutely. the afternoon and have a few beers, grill. You know. Yeah, it's all about yeah. the the tailgates. Yeah, which is nice. Nice. <laughs> actually, hockey I like. Yeah, there I was just go. about to say that. That's my favorite yeah. sport. I went to see BU against BC, which I wasn't that's aware. A of, but that's a great game. That's a great <laughs> game to go see. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to check out the uh, the Bean Pot? They do a tournament with all of the Boston teams because all of the Boston teams are yeah, really really good. Yeah, yeah. No, we um, a friend of mine was like a semi professional hockey player back in France, and he came to Boston and. Initially, we wanted to bring him to see the Bruins, but I, I, I think the season was over mm-hmm. or tickets were too I can't remember. But we said, oh, well, you know, instead we can go see BU versus BC. Yeah, and he was yeah. like, whoa. That, <laughs> that was yeah. like amazing. Okay. <laughs> was like, that was good. So, so it was really nice. And I really enjoyed it. It's like more fast-paced, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, It's pretty continuous. It's still low scoring. I mean, it can be low scoring. Yeah. But like 
I feel like there's always something to watch. Yeah. Always something Hockey's to see in the fun. game. Yeah. Fun to watch. Big time. Yeah. I I guess we didn't really ask a lot about like your motivation for going to where you where you ended up with. Yeah. I, I think that's a good yeah. time to transition. Yeah. <laughs> um, my uh my question would be then what brought you or forced you to pursue the field of engineering instead of purely a medical um, perspective on things? Yeah. So initially, uh, when I was like in high school, I wanted more the medical round. <laughs> so I actually started medical studies in France, but I was, I would say I was too immature at the time. Hmm. To do that, <laughs> me too. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like just just failed out of that basically, and and then I was like, what what do I want to do? Like, what am I interested in? And so I started biochemistry in in a city called Lyon. Um, Lyon is beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice. I my my girlfriend went there a month ago now and yeah. yeah she showed me all around it yeah it's a lovely city it's it's actually it makes you think of boston in terms of of uh, being a, a good size like it's not so big not too big yeah. yeah um i really loved Lyon. and i really love biochemistry and one of my professors said to me like you should go into engineering and you should look for a good engineering school that you can go to and kind of and kind of explore more engineering concepts and so so like okay well I look into it and so I looked I found this this school so in Compiègne where uh, they had a uh, biomaterials and biomechanics kind of specialty and so I applied and I got in and then that's when I really started like getting into engineering much more I really just so was like I love this and I love the idea of solving problems the idea of applications being present in your mind at the very least you're not just mm-hmm. you're not just studying things for the sake of studying them you're, there's a purpose of being less, an engineer less memorizing or actually applying yeah exactly and so i did my studies there then i i my had an internship at general electric at the end of my engineering degree and it was on quality control and regulatory affairs which was it was, it was, so at first it was nice and it was the, my entire experience at GE was nice and, and I, I wouldn't say anything bad about it, but initially I was, I was really into, it. I was like, oh, this is cool. It was a new position. They had, they had some issues with, with certain processes and they needed somebody to oversee them. So this was completely new position. So I had to put everything into place, which was kind of exciting and interesting. About four to five, six months in, I was like kind of starting to get bored intellectually mm. like things were were working well or processes were working we're getting good results but like not not stimulated so much and that's when i started looking for phds and so i found a phd which was uh in a lab that was working on um polyelectrolyte multi-layer films so essentially layer by layer deposition of a kind of biomimetic coating I thought it was cool, and the topic was on, you know, had this mechanical aspect to it, like how can we control the cytoskeletal tension of the cells, and it had, there was an idea of of applications down the line, although it was quite fundamental. And so 
that's when I started getting into more biomaterials per se and tissue engineering and, and kind of how we could control cell behavior. So yeah, so that was kind of how, what pushed me into that. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the desire to get closer to work at a different scale, more macro scale, and also to get closer to actual applications, what what, what drove my starting my postdoc with David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Are there any specific characteristics of individuals that you've seen to lead them to be successful in the field of engineering or biomedical engineering specifically? Yeah, I would say um, in particular in academia, I'd say curiosity, intellectual curiosity. So not being lazy in your thought process. So not just, obviously dedication matters how how much time you spend, how much, you know, how efficient you are, how much work you do on things will always drive success. But not just how many hours you're spending in the lab, but how much thought you're giving to what you're doing and does it make sense and is there a different way of doing things and could you approach things in a different manner and is there something in your in your life, you know, you know, you're 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 sitting on a chair and there's swivel chairs. Is there something about that that might apply to your research? Is there is there something that makes sense, you know? Squeakiness of this one. Yeah, it's like, oh, you <laughs> how, do I, yeah, how, how do I you, how do you minimize the squeak <laughs> of this chair? <laughs> yeah, you never know. Maybe, maybe hip prosthesis has squeaks, I don't know. <laughs> no, but there's like a lot of things like that where, you know, you, I don't know, you open up a package, there's bubble wrap, bubble wrap's there to protect. Is there a way of in, incorporating bubble wrap or the concepts behind bubble wrap into mm. tissue engineering approach or, or something? And... I think that's where that kind of intellectual curiosity, it, it, it ruins your life because you're constantly thinking about work. <laughs> so, so. Well, is it, is it an obsessive field? Because I feel like in medicine, like I become obsessed with stuff. I'm, and I like if I don't know it, I need to figure it out. Yeah. And I just become fully immersed in it. I'm 100% obsessed all yeah. the time. There, yeah. is no, there is no time where I'm like... Oh, you know, this is just relaxing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I maybe that's just like it just confirms that you're passionate about the subject. Yeah, I but mean, it's it's, also... it's it's yeah. Honestly, it's great. Like, I really enjoy it because I feel like I'm constantly learning things. You know, I mean, just the other week I was looking at 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 how why can you step on a can <laughs> and and it it holds your weight despite it being this incredibly light piece. A very thin aluminium, you know how yeah. does it? Why is that? On an empty can, uh, on a full can, you can stand okay. on. Oh, on a full can, yeah. yeah. Empty can, is, it can work, but I, I uh, yeah. try it <laughs> somewhere try it right now. <laughs> Once we we have to finish this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> but that in itself is a feat of engineering, and and again, it's you know if, if I can bring that back to bone, no problem. You know, it's a very yeah. empty empty structure, but with great mechanical force. Is so, that empty? Mm. Yeah, this one's empty. Should we try it? Yeah. I, they're two totally different sizes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to distribute your weight very evenly on it. Oh, yeah. Wait, good point. Should I? I if I can't see it on the camera. You definitely can't see it on the camera. I'll, I'll try yeah, and catch you if there's... Yeah, yeah. This way you can also catch me if I fall. <laughs> see? Empty, empty cans. Virtually Woo! no way. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's party, trick. <laughs> yeah, party trick. 
I'm glad that worked because yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm also like I'm not a light person. No, it's, it's all muscle. It's like yeah, it's just straight, straight <laughs> muscle, obviously. <laughs> but so you see, oh, but no, that's virtually. Yeah, yeah, maybe I should throw yeah. this out now. But. <laughs> virtually that's no mass, but it it could still withstand. Fruit. It's so cool. Have you looked at uh, like bubble science at all? No, I haven't. But that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's such. Yeah, it's uh, you saying like minimal material for something with like incredible. I guess, kind of design and structural integrity. Like, bubbles are a way of, like, minimizing material to make a really efficient, you know, space. I think it's big in, uh, like, shipping because something with that uh, surface area has, like, a lot of volume compared to maybe, like, a box or something like that. Well, the can, actually, that, that makes you think, like, the sphere would typically... Be, be better in terms of, yeah. of thing. but uh, stacking spheres is, is, is and you lose a lot of, of space keeping them in one spot and boxes would work better but they but they but they have other issues because they have hard edges and corners and things and so the even this just the cylinder is is a engineering solution to how do you transport large amounts how do you minimize cost how do you maximize you know not losing your product yeah. because it breaks but I look into bubble science because that sounds fun. It's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Just adding more work. <laughs> I think I'm I'm kind of the same way, and like I think Riley can attest to this because that's like what we do all day is throw out ideas about yeah. things we can look at and. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool and it's very. Uh, I think it's very fulfilling because I'm you know I'm in my mid thirties now, and still every day like I'm not I'm never bored. And I never feel like I know enough. You know what I mean? And there's something really nice about that. I'm always like, oh, this is cool. This is interesting. This is new. So, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it. And I think, think, you know, even David at his level is is quite similar in that sense. He's very interested and very passionate and curious. Mm -hmm. And he's everything. The field is also always evolving. So even if you get to a point where you feel like you know a lot about the field there's yeah. always something new that's about to come out and there's always something to learn there's always a goal to strive for yeah absolutely and yeah. that's the one of the benefits to working in such a complex field yeah it's a great field it's really uh, i mean i can't encourage it enough in terms of of it's still very much evolving very much not at all we don't feel like it's slowing down at all things are just it's so wide like from one organ to the next, the requirements are completely different. So even a single biomaterial might apply. Like, I mean, well, actually, David's a perfect example. Uh, David's like the, the silk guy in, in biomaterials mm. and tissue engineering. And and he does cellular agriculture. He does kidney stuff. He does bone stuff, brain stuff. Uh, it's really everywhere. And so mm. it's a um, it's really exciting field to work in. Really exciting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Do you have any specific questions that you want to ask? No, go I, to the I, go to the fun we, stuff. We covered so many good things. I yeah, that I was really awesome. That was one of our more in-depth quite, um, interviews, and I really liked how yeah. we were able to actually like yeah. talk about the field itself and the innovative aspects of it and what's coming. Yeah. I think people are going to be really excited to see. You know, maybe I'll add a little clickbait title, something like. Um, Surgery on Mars. Surgery on Mars. <laughs> Closer than you think. Printing yeah. on a lung. Printing, yeah. yeah. 
Printing while breathing. If Elon Musk calls me next week, I know it's thanks to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to shoot him a quick email. Say, we got a guy for you. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to do a little, yeah, little bit more of the fun stuff? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, we already talked about f- football. Yeah. And, you know, you're not that much of a fan, so we're just going to skip all those you questions. Let me down. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jack, Jack was really excited about that stuff. Okay, my first question is, do people in France actually hate Americans? No. No? Are you sure? I'm not convinced. I, I'm, I'm not, not convinced, convinced about that. that. <laughs> answer at all. No. No. What? Say you're Canadian. <laughs> no. No, people don't hate Americans. I mean, they, they, they may dislike... Uh, sure. I mean, there's a few. They may dislike American presidents at times. That's fair. Um, Americans hate them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and uh, they may dislike certain American policies. Um, and and France is very uh, focused on on a kind of uh, like I suppose socialist kind of uh, ideas, you know, surrounding. Healthcare, surrounding education, surrounding how many hours you work in a week or how much vacation you have. And so certain aspects of American culture can seem uh, very out of place for French people. Mm-hmm. And when you when you come here, you, you, you know, there's a little time of where you adapt to it, but it's but you just see it's a different culture and, and it yeah. has its, its own specificities. So um, in terms of just visitors... I always, I don't know, this is definitely an internal thing um, because I always get scared because I don't know a lot about the culture and the language and I know a minimal amount, but I always get scared that they're going to hear me trying to talk French and they're just going to be like, this guy is just butchering our language because no. I don't know a ton of it. Like I understand the basics, but is it better to outwardly try and show that you're at least putting in a little bit of effort to learn? Or is it better to just be like, I don't want to mess up? No, I would say, and this goes for French people, but I would say it goes for virtually everywhere I've been in the world. It's always better to show that you're, you've made an effort. And so, you know, it's better to say in the language of the country you're in, hi, I'm sorry, I don't speak, you know, whatever language. Uh, do you speak English rather than immediately switch to English? Yeah, and just... people appreciate it because they appreciate the fact that you're not just assuming that they will. And, um, but no, I, I think I think French and American get on get on just fine. I think that the one of the things that that is coming to mind now is Americans are very outgoing, and mm-hmm. so they they can be uh, very um, you know usually if you're in a if you're in a room. I think there's a joke like that where if you're in a room with a hundred people, the the guy who's talking to everyone is the American. Yeah. <laughs> Checks out. So and so and so this can French people aren't that way and they tend to be more reserved at first and it'll take a while to to develop that kind of level of interaction. And so what can happen sometimes in my experience is that French people will perceive the relationship with an American person as more than it is. Mm-hmm. So they'll think that you're more friendly than you actually are just because you're having a really nice conversation. But that doesn't mean that you're friends. It just means 
you know, why not have a nice conversation, yeah. you know? And so that can sometimes lead to some issues. Yeah. But I would not say that the French French hate the Americans. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. I always got self-conscious when I, no. I like, I, I tried to learn a little bit of Italian before going to Italy and I would speak to like maybe i would order in italian when i was at a restaurant or something and then they'd giggle a little bit at me because they knew i was trying but they were like that was terrible i was yeah. like ah, at least i was putting in the effort but yeah but um, they, they, they always seemed appreciative yeah. of it yeah. so no um, in my experience it's always a good good kind go of go for advice. it just go for that hello i don't speak the language that's enough good idea um, yeah well, what do you feel like is your favorite um region or part of to be in oh that's a good question i really liked uh so my my parents live in burgundy i really like burgundy uh, from a atmosphere perspective so it's very um they live in very rural area of burgundy and very wine culture mm. but also people who don't take wine too seriously despite being very knowledgeable yeah. and, and drinking mm-hmm. a lot of it so I always kind of enjoy that because you go to other regions in France and definitely around the world and people take wine very, very seriously. We should have done a pint of wine. A pint of you know, wine had would us be, bouncing I off the walls. I would <laughs> <laughs> take a nap after yeah. this interview. But, um, but there... And so so I really enjoy that kind of saying of well, these people, they don't need to dress up, they don't need fancy glass or they don't need to make a whole show and dance around smelling it and... And all of this, they, they, it's part of their day-to-day life because they live in this area where, where people make a lot of wine. And they have a very sincere appreciation for it. So from an atmosphere perspective, I Burgundy. I really enjoyed Grenoble for the mountains, hmm. like three mountain ranges. I, I really loved hiking. Not, not much of a skier, but I enjoyed hiking there. So, um, yeah, and Lyon I loved as a city. But I'm I'm moving away from city life now. I want a garden and no traffic. <laughs> what do you What do you want in the garden? I want to build actually a robot. <laughs> this is not even. This is not even. <laughs> I don't want a garden. I want a robot that gardens for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen those farm bots? They're like um, they're like on a gantry, and you can actually program them to plant and water and and no laser out your like uh, it's like an open source project Whoa. pretty uh, sure I, built, I think it from MIT I built one of those in Minecraft yeah. the other oh, week yeah. yeah so actually actually even that kind of ties back into work a bit but uh, some G code will still be there to, to move the thing around but yeah kind of that kind of, yeah I want just the space and the yeah. lack of traffic and everything yeah. What are what are your thoughts on like a rooftop garden instead? Well, I I mean that would be a good second option, but I but I like the open open air. The backwoods, yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. This Boston has been my first experience in like an actual city. Yeah, uh, yeah. the place that I grew up was super rural. Yeah. Um, and I like it for a lot of things. I I really do enjoy it, but there are certain advantages that I do miss to being in the open area especially the traffic the yeah traffic, traffic is, is just terrible. oh my goodness yeah and parking i had to move my car today to avoid street cleaning i yeah. didn't know that existed before i came yeah. here um. yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't how do people do when they're on vacation both times oh, i went on vacation i had to ask people to move my car yeah what's was, going on 
I just don't bring a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a big film guy? Cinema? Yeah, I've watched. I watched my fair share yeah. of, of films. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we've kind of started recently a segment of mm. of the podcast where we like to do a a top three of a specific category with each person. We call it the triple crown. Okay. So today we were thinking of doing the triple crown of cinema and you essentially talk about your top three movies and you have to defend your answer against us because we're definitely going to have three different options. Okay. So I can start so that you have a little bit of time okay. to, to think through it. It has to be honest. I don't it has give to be an honest answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't answer. want you to say top gun with Tom Cruise right now because okay. I'm going to call you out for that. Okay. <laughs> I think we're probably going to share one. We I are. A, I have a feeling we haven't talked about this, but you just you I, just I know. Like we'll probably Should we have the connection? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> okay. My first one, and this is one hundred percent biased, is Miracle on Ice. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't think I've seen that. It's about the USA Olympic team, right? That yeah. beat Soviet Russia. With Emilio Estevez, no. With what? Is it with Emilio Estevez? No. The uh, actor? Yeah. My, uh, Charlie Sheen's brother. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. Maybe I'm okay. a fake fan. But I've watched that movie no less than 100 times. Yeah. I can probably quote through most of the movie. Okay. And it's obviously because I, I played hockey when I was younger. So it was the most motivating movie of all time. I actually, I played a, a tournament in Lake Placid on the, the rinks that they played the Olympic Games on. And nice. I was, yeah, I'm just. That's awesome. Can you give us a speech? I could give you the speech, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I actually gave the speech to my team while we were playing in that Lake Placid tournament, and I flipped the table like in the, in the scene in the movie, and everyone was laughing, and I was like, I'm being serious. Like, <laughs> um, but no, that's definitely my number one, primarily because of my bias. But I also think it's a great movie, and I love the actors, and me and Liz were talking about it yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday, great movie. So good. Yeah. I I think it's one of two movies that I actually bought for my phone. Oh, Other than that, I just kind of rent or stream everything. Pirate. Pirate. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I would never cut that. Cut. <laughs> oh, that's a good choice. So, will you go next? Yeah. Me? Take it away. Uh, Interstellar. Oh, that's a good oh, choice too. Maybe I do have to interstellar. So my whole thing is, I'm really big into like really grand scores, and Hans Zimmer is like the man, and so that's one of his soundtracks too. Yeah. So he just he killed it, and then also the like the actors in the movie are just so good. Yeah. Um, and then the whole idea of it is kind of mind bending in a yeah. way, like the whole tesseract idea and time being. Yeah. I, Not quite what we thought. Did you like two thousand one, a space odyssey? Dude, I like two thousand one also. Yeah. yeah, also a really good movie. Actually, that was playing in Cambridge a couple of years ago. I went to see it in the theater. It was so awesome really? with the original sound, like yeah, and everything. Yeah, the score also made me think of it because yeah. It's, uh... Um, I actually study to the Hans Zimmer soundtrack sometimes. Oh yeah, it's mountains. If you guys haven't tried time. it, don't don't judge me before you try it. 
<laughs> the cornfield, the yeah. cornfield chase. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I am locked in when I'm studying that. I can see that. that as being good because it, it's not too distracting. You yeah. don't have the lyrics behind it. It Skips, more just gets yeah. you kind of amped, and you're yeah. like, "All right, let's do it." Okay, I think I'd have to go very classical for the first choice. I would say Godfather Part Two. As soon as you said classical, that that was the first thing that came to mind. Godfather movie. That is a fantastic yeah. movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. Me though. neither, actually. Uh, but I'd say I've I've seen that a bunch of times. I've seen all three Godfathers, but Part Two definitely. Yeah, part that, Two. Uh, James Caan just passed away. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's very sad. Um, to watch it. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll watch it when I go back today. Yeah. That was that was that was a really good movie. That was a good one. Um, my second one is The Dark Knight. That's a very good movie. That is. One of the best acting films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's very good. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was unbelievable. And I don't know, I feel like I could just watch that over and over and never get bored of it. Yeah. Is it Marion Cotillard's uh, performance that? I know that's the that's the third one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so good. Music for that one too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Music too, yeah. I don't think... So we have two Christopher really Nolan that. movies already. Yeah, man. And Hans Zimmer. And Hans Zimmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a Hans Zimmer movie. <laughs> Is it Hans Zimmer that did The Dark Knight? Too? Yo, yeah, he did Nolan's do the soundtrack, one, right? I wouldn't place it in my top three, but that I really liked was Memento. I don't know if you ever watched that. Oh, that, the twist at the end of that uh, is yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. My dad actually made me watch that because I was asking him. I was like, I love movies with twists at the end. What's a good one? He told me that one, and I was... You can never watch it again, basically. I know, yeah. I know. Because now <laughs> you know exactly yeah, what's going know. on. But... That's why I only watched it once. It really stayed with me. But I was like, you can't watch this the yeah, same. Like yeah. the usual Sussex kind of thing. I feel but... like a lot of them you can watch again. Because, like Shutter Island. Yeah. I, I watched that the first time. Totally mind-bending at the end. It was yeah. awesome. Caught me off guard. And then I watched through it again. To see the Easter eggs that are hidden out throughout yeah. it. And I think that that was a really That's so true. cool yeah. way to watch through it. Well, mm. Scorsese in general would be up there yeah. too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, my other one, this is more just probably like a nostalgia thing, but Forrest Gump. Ah, that's a great movie. It's a really good movie. Love that movie. I feel like I haven't seen that one in a long time either. Man, I gotta start watching more movies. That's again. Robert Z- Zemeckis, right? They were a director? I, I actually don't know. I have no idea. Sure. It's a really good movie. I right? read the book. I still quote I it all the time. Did you? <laughs> yeah. How's the book? It's like the same as the movie. Exactly the same. A couple more things. But... Really? So, what, so what do you think of Jenny? I'm Cut the podcast off there. <laughs> yeah. So anti-Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had her own stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, so people sometimes feel very strongly in either defending or... Or, yeah. No, I guess you gotta, you know. Okay, that's how I feel. Context. Like this is totally off topic, but like in Breaking Bad, yeah. Skyler, have you watched? Have yeah, you watched yeah, it yeah. through? I hate Skyler, but she. Everyone hates Skyler. Yeah, but she only reacts in the completely normal way yeah. to finding out that, you, that your husband is a meth kingpin. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> and, like I, yeah. When you when you think back about it, you're like. You know, maybe she has a point through yeah, a lot of it. She was very straight. She was like, very so, straightforward yeah. with it. But then the whole time, I'm just like, yeah. let him do it. <laughs> He's doing well. 
<laughs> He's killing it. Well, it's, it is one of those TV shows that really makes you be like, yeah, go on, deal meth. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I, <laughs> did, did you ever watch 24? I don't know, you guys might. And 24, too. <sighs> my grandparents had, like, the whole set. Yeah. I, I've only watched a couple of those, but my parents were obsessed with 24 it. is one of those TV shows where, like, it makes torture completely normal. <laughs> and you're, and sometimes Jack Bauer yeah, water isn't boredom. torturing the guy. Go on, torture Why is he not? Why aren't you torturing <laughs> He's not going to tell you anything. Like, Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> like, this isn't due process at all. <laughs> Jack Bauer torturing people. <laughs> I love 24 though. Yeah. It got so crazy as the seasons went along. The first season it's still it's still very much grounded in like, you know, this this could happen. Yeah. You know, he's tired sometimes, he's like falling asleep. Yeah. You know, like, but then it got out of hand. Yeah. Well that's how season like eight that's how a he's lot like, of shows he's like go. sniping the president of the yeah. United States. <laughs> okay. Like, alright, maybe not. But yeah, that's how a lot of a lot of shows end up. You just get to later seasons, and you're like, I don't really know what else to do except for the craziest yeah. thing that yeah. would get. Yeah, you have to escalate. Jump the shark. Yeah, you got to jump the shark a little bit. Yeah. You ever seen that's Sharknado? I've seen Sharknado. <laughs> that they literally <laughs> jumped the shark in that movie, yeah, and I that was yeah. the funniest scene Sharks I've ever seen. <laughs> um, what was Jump the Shark from? Oh, it was from the thing with the phones. Right? Um, um, what's uh, yeah. The uh, oh happy days. God. Happy days. Is it Happy Days? That sounds right. I never watched it. I, never I just watched know the either. phrase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm. Yeah. With what's his name? That actor who's in other stuff now. Barry. Man, nah, whatever. Yeah. This could be one of the situations where I think I know it, and then I don't actually know it. I think it's happening. Maybe I'm just Parks trying to put on for the camera. He was in. He's in a show. I love Parks and Rec too. Yeah, it was pretty That's good a great show. show. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah. um, who went? Who went last? You I did, did, I think. Oh, you did? oh your so turn now. You're up for number two. Okay. Yeah, Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're number two. I think I'll go a guilty pleasure movie, which is called Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. It's a pretty sick movie. Shooter. I remember. I that. haven't seen it. Yeah. This was like ten years, twelve years ago. <sighs> Maybe even. Longer, I watched it in 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 the cinema than. in like two thousand. I think two thousand six. Okay, yeah. I mean, Mark Wahlberg's a stud. Any movie that he's in. Yeah, that's true. Good, so. uh, although this movie was my, I I watched it in French for some reason because I think I pirated it at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I got a French version. I watched it in French, and it became. <laughs> actually this I probably shouldn't be saying but it became this movie that I'd watch when I'd come back from like a party and like I'd yes. be like I'd be like drunk and you're kind of like waiting you're like oh, yes, <laughs> things are gonna be like messy my bed's gonna be like spinning yeah. so it's like I'd so watch only watched it a couple in times. French I watched it a hundred yeah. times <laughs> I was like I was like I think I've watched it over a thousand times possibly uh, and and I was saying this to my wife this morning she was like yeah, and the podcast say a hundred. Don't see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe try and keep it down a couple. <laughs> so it was just one of those. I don't know why I got I got really into it. Not I wasn't like it wasn't that I was like obsessed with it because I I know it's not. It's not like a. It's not like high. It's not like great mm. cinema. You know, it's never never gonna make a top fifty list yeah. of, of movies. But it's it's well it's well built actually. Like the yeah. story makes sense. You know, you things are set up and paid off. Uh, just enjoyed it. Hmm. The whole premise. The, I gotta give that a shot. Yeah. I, I hope it. I hope I can stream it somewhere because you know I don't do illegal stuff like pirating I can, movies. I can, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
All right, we'll have to say our guilty pleasure movies after. I can do that too. After, but um, I have to pee so bad. So bad. <laughs> we, can, we got a little bit of time. We can hold it. We can figure it out. Okay. Um, okay. My third movie would be, I think, Quentin Tarantino, Django Unchained. That's a great movie. It's a really it is movie. a fantastic movie. Oh, Christoph Waltz is one of the craziest actors yeah, I've ever so seen good. perform. That man can play any bad guy. Yeah. In Glorious Bastards, he but he's, is, he's a good but, guy in Django, though. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. He is a, but he's the villain in, um, in a lot of the other ones. In Glorious Bastards, I think in the Spectre. one of the newer Double O Sevens, yeah, he played the villain. I don't know. I think he can just he can do any role. That he man, is very, very. He's good. one of my favorite actors. Yeah, I think he was he was he was somewhat famous uh, again in German speaking countries. Oh yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. But um, actually, Tarantino, that's good. I I would have, I would have possibly, I don't know, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is incredible. Brown even. Um, About Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Kill Bill's a good one. Yeah. Do you want go pee? We can continue the conversation. (laughs) You want to shake the mouse while you're at it? It's because you slugged the whole pint. Oh, no. You're not even halfway through. You're going to have to chug the rest of that. I finished that so long ago. This guy. <laughs> um, do you guys have some top threes that you want to throw in here? Some movies in the mix? Well, you haven't seen any movies? Shutter Island is my favorite. Shutter Island is your favorite? That's a good. All right, that's fair. I'll allow that. How have you not seen any of these yeah, movies? These are... We've named like yeah. ten of the most popular films in cinema history. What, what's your top three, Shani? My top three? I don't even know. I think my for so many years I would tell people that my favorite movie was Rio Two. Rio Two is your favorite movie? Not anymore. I don't know. What my Listen, no hate. I like that movie. I have watched. Have you seen Luca? No. Oh my god. Um, but I have been working my way through all of the Marvel movies. I'm like, Ooh, you're doing the Marvel movies, movies in like in chronological order or in the date they were released order? Ooh. I stopped I stopped Ooh. at Endgame as, or Did whatever you? the last one was. Endgame. Endgame? Yeah. yeah. Oh, cuz the new ones. Yeah, the new ones don't have really any direction. Yeah, that's what that was what I heard, but I was I think I was just I was just like, oh, this this is enough, you know. Yeah, I've had it. Yeah. <laughs> TV shows too. So yeah, the TV movies shows movies like aren't. Yeah, I don't love them. I don't I'm love them. I like Daredevil. Actually, the TV show. Yeah, they're coming out with a new Daredevil. Are they? Um, yeah, they, same actor or not? I don't know. They just released it though. They have a like a release date twenty twenty three or twenty four or something I like that. Daredevil but, was good, and for some reason they canceled it. They he made a surprise showing in one of the Spider. Yes. No. Uh, um. 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 What is it? Caution. No, no, I, no. I might have just told people something. I don't think that's a is spoiler. It, is it a, oh, that's the word I was looking for. A spoiler. I couldn't. A caution. I don't know. I was Listen, I was trying. All right. You want to take over this conversation while I go? I yeah, go pee really quick. Is Fantastic. This, is, am I doing my, my one or do you want me to wait for you? Oh, we were, well, we were talking about Shawnee's Shani top three. hasn't seen any of the She hasn't seen any of the ones that we've so done. Far. She said her favorite is Rio too. 
We're not we're not trying to shame her, but yeah, a little bit. Fine. Listen, if, you, if you're did you not have a TV? In your if your if your favorite movie is Rio two, so be Netflix. it. That's fine. I don't have Netflix. I feel like is none of cable? these are, are some of these on Netflix. Maybe I, would get I don't. It. Know. You you just gotta you gotta legally wait <laughs> uh, stream stream them. Get a VPN because the Netflix the in the US is is. So bad compared to other countries. Is it true? is. Yes. So oh my God. When I was in Italy, I don't know if you guys knew that I was in Italy. I've only talked about it six <laughs> times on this podcast. Um, <laughs> the the Netflix is fantastic. It It's pretty much HBO, Hulu, and Netflix all wrapped into yeah, one. The other ones don't mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. yeah. They, watching watching, watching <laughs> the office. I, just, I actually just downloaded them. So that I could watch them on the flight back. But yeah, yeah, you have to keep your airplane mode. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I still have it on. I, yeah. I haven't gotten through enough of the episodes. Um, but the office was still there in France. I was, I was glad no to see way. them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's Missed awesome. The office. And Netflix had become mostly just a way to watch The Office for me. Yeah, and now it's... Mm. Like just, just... I don't know. I think they really saved themselves with the creating the Netflix originals, you know, like Stranger yeah. Things. That brought in a whole. New I movie. haven't seen it, but I've, I have heard great things. Even in particular, season four. First yeah. season's good. Second and third are good enough, I guess. And then the fourth is like crazy. I heard they, four. They stepped like, up their game yeah. so much. Yeah. I like Black Mirror. Black Mirror. That's a good one. There yeah, but go. which that's seasons? Because there's those first ones, the English ones, and then the newer season was. I don't know. I think it was just really out there. I think it lacked message mostly. Yeah. Mm. Like it kind of just seemed one, everywhere. Yeah. Like the first one, the first couple of seasons when it was still like BBC, it was like each episode you could kind of distill it down to, oh, this is the danger of right. social media. This is the danger of whatever it is. Yeah. Of, you know, yeah, you think you want to be able to see everything again that you've seen, you but you don't. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, afterwards, it was kind of like, oh, whatever, Mighty Cyrus has a robot. That one here. I watched 10 minutes of, and I was like, I can't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so if it, if, <laughs> if it has a good message at the end, yeah, my bad, I didn't know. But no, I, I haven't maybe. watched enough of it. It's just the first 10 minutes, I was like, ah, this is so different. I think they got so kind different. of, I don't, know if they, yeah, I don't know if it was, you know, studio interference, which is definitely possible. 100%. Uh, or if they were just kind of out of ideas and they were like, oh, well, now let's make a museum with all the stuff that we've already done. Yeah. And kind of but it was... That's fair. It just kind of lost its... That, yeah. that grittiness of the first couple of seasons. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Number three. Number three? Number three. Um, so this... It could go into guilty pleasures a little bit, but it honestly, for me, one of the Austin Powers movies. Oh, which one? Um... I guess I could pick any of those. I I like the first one a lot, the original yeah. one. Um, so what would that be called? Uh, Spy Who Shagged Me. Spy I think. Yeah. Have you seen Spaceballs? Spaceballs. Spaceballs. It's a good movie. <laughs> Spaceballs, Young Frankenstein, Blazing. Young Souls Frankenstein <laughs> is really funny. Um, I like Goldmember actually. Of the, I wouldn't be on my top three, but uh, there's cool, something yeah. about Goldmember just makes it when he's like the oh, I smoking a pancake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I cry laughing. It's, yeah. it's so stupid. Um, but that's my humor. Uh, that's fair. So your your guilty pleasure movie was one of your top threes. Yeah, I put it up there. I like that. I'm gonna, I like that. I'm gonna go intellectual for the more intellectual for the third one. I think just to save face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I would go with uh, a movie called The Man from Earth. The Man from Earth. I have not. Got a pretty limited release in the U.S. and it didn't release at all in France. It's a movie. A friend of mine. A friend of mine just like was like, "Hey, I think you'd like this." It's uh, kind of like a what do they call them? Like a bottle uh, movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's all in one space. It's just a conversation. But essentially, it's a bunch of university professors, like all academics from different fields. And they go to the kind of, to see a friend of theirs who's retired or is leaving. And during the conversation, he says to them that he's a caveman who never aged. And so basically he says, like, what if I were to tell you that, you know, I was born like about 6,000 years ago or whatever. And I just never aged. And that's why I'm, I'm moving on to able to see everything. And so these are various professors with each their kind of view on, you know, what question they are. And so they kind of play, uh, play the game, you know, like, uh, like as an intellectual exercise. Like, okay, if this were true, what questions would we ask? Mm. And would he be able to answer them? And mm -hmm. what, you know, and if he can't answer them, what does that mean? So I won't spoil it because, um, you know, the whole point of the movie is, is is it possible that he's telling the truth or not? But uh, really, really good movie. Really, like for a movie that's just a conversation in one place, it really gets you like you're you're in it. Hmm. So I think I'd go with that one as my top three. I've seen that a few that's times. Really cool. That's a really good one. Where do you think hmm. we could find that? I already have it. I could send it to you. It'd probably be the easiest. <laughs> but if not, Done. I have some. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. That's perfect. Cool. That's a really good movie. Okay. Guilty pleasure movie. I'm between two. I feel like I definitely have two guilty pleasure movies. The first one is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Ah, uh, that's a good uh, movie. Yeah, that's uh, a, I mean, come on, come on. That's a good movie. A I don't care what anyone says. I love Russell Brand, actually. He's yeah. so funny. He's I, I, so funny. Yeah. There's a there's a new movie, like Death on the Nile, something like that. Um, and he plays a serious character, and he's totally out of the character that I'm used to seeing him yeah. in, and I was, to I was thrown for a loop. Yeah. But he does really well in it, too. Yeah. He's a very good actor. Right? See him but, get him to the Greek. Yeah, I've only seen a little bit of that, but I, I think oh, I watched it because of the forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's, he plays the same character. Yeah, but it's very very funny. Very yeah, that's awesome. I, I yeah, I definitely need to finish that. I have seen some of it though. Um, so that's the first one, and then the second one is, and this is like kind of embarrassing, but like, have you ever seen the movie About Time? Oh, it's a rom-com yeah I, I think uh, Rachel McAdams yes and the son of an Irish actor he's, he's Irish too right a redhead guy yes yes yeah. um, it's he that, like that movie is so good and it's Wait. about the like a family who can travel through time and all the all the men in the family can travel through time and oh okay yeah I've seen it yeah seen it. it's totally. really really good it's really well done I, I watched it and I was like I didn't really is have that. Rachel McAdams? Because Rachel McAdams is in that other movie called The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, uh, could probably she not. <laughs> She's just really good at her niche time like travel movie. Time movies. travel romantic <laughs> comedies. It's, uh, it is Rachel McAdams. Oh, so she's in both. Rachel McAdams oh. and Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah. 
He's the son of Margot Robbie plays. Um, I didn't remember that Margot Robbie. Was she's playing. the she's the friend that comes for the summer that he like falls in love with. Yeah, and then goes back in time and all that stuff. What's his father's name? Actually, it, it's Bill Bill, Bill Nighy. Nighy, yes, yeah. is the is the but that's the that's the father of the um, in the movie, but the the father of the actor. Oh, actually, that actor plays in Ex Machina, which is pretty good too. Mm, that's a good movie. I haven't seen that one. I have I have mm. heard really really good things about that though. It's kind of like a cult classic. Son of actor Brendan Gleeson. Uh, he's amazing. He's in um. He's in a movie which it's very unlikely that you've seen. I think uh, an Irish movie called uh, The Guard. The Guard. Uh, so not... a guard in in Ireland is what we call the police. Oh, there it is. Uh, he's in Paddington too, maybe more importantly. Oh, he's in Braveheart. He's in Mission Impossible too as well, which is a terrible Mission Impossible. <laughs> it's the worst of them. And he's in Goblet <laughs> of Fire, the best Harry Potter. Yeah. If you guys disagree, he's Mad Eye um, Moody, isn't he? You're wrong. Mad Eye. Yeah, but the uh, the guard. If you ever get around to seeing it, it's uh, it's pretty amazing movie. Actually, uh, Don Cheadle is in it too. Hmm. But it's like a it's like a. F- I'd say pretty low budget uh, mm. kind of Irish movie. But it's good. Yeah, it's about like the west of Ireland. And well, you've been to Galway, so yeah. kind of about the area. And just like he's a policeman, but they're like trafficking drugs. And he's, he gets caught up in the thing. But very, uh, very funny. Very Irish humor kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's a good guilty pleasure. Yeah. Actually, P.S. I Love You, I'd say, would be one of my good Also, P.S. Really good. I Love You. Rom-com. There we go. Maybe that'll be the clickbait. The, the boys go through their yeah. rom-com <laughs> guilty pleasures. Is that actually, uh, he's, uh, Jared Butler is Irish in that, too. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of Irish connections there. Love Actually. I've never... Uh, I've seen That's that, my actually. girlfriend's... Like, one of my girlfriend's favorite movies. I, I, I got And it. The Holiday. <laughs> Have you seen The Holiday? Same kind of thing. It's like yeah. a million of, like, A-list. Yeah. Yeah, I always feel like these movies are such cash grabs that they it's. Are. Uh, <laughs> they are. And also, I I I don't Hallmark. like Hugh Grant. You just don't can't can't do it. He was everyone okay. has that one actor that's just like. Ah, yeah, he was okay in the Gentleman. The actually Guy Ritchie movies we haven't talked about at all, but I I do like Guy Ritchie movies. But he was in the Gentleman, which he was okay in. But otherwise, I just don't like him. I just right. don't get what the fuss is about. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair enough <laughs> but lock stock and two smoking barrels if we're gonna talk guy richie would be up there might be on my top three actually as well somehow <laughs> my top Which, four what is what is that one I, I um that one. it's like uh have you did you see snatch with uh oh the, these i think you'd like these ones no. so these are older guy richie movies did you see rock and roller Nope. Oh, okay. There's a whole <laughs> English kind of cinema of like. And we need to figure it out. Underworld. We need to get it going. Huh. Oh, he's been in a lot of stuff. Sure. Oh, the new. Sh- well, I guess not new. Okay. So I guess I've seen some of his stuff. I haven't seen Rock and Roller, though. He has one he's in the Sherlock in Holmes movies. Terrible. Oh, yeah, he does the Sherlock Holmes. He's an English director. He, do, he does like a, a lot of these are the criminal underworld kind of convoluted stories that end up, you know, coming together at the end. Yeah. With I very like, like English humor. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say Sherlock Holmes is the most representative of, of 
like the type of movie he does but yeah yeah all right well i think we're coming up on like two hours for this, Are we really? for this pod episode yeah <laughs> i know we've been we've been killing it um i think we should probably start wrapping up a little bit though okay. You can definitely stay and talk afterwards. That's yeah. been awesome. I will go pee before. Yes. Oh, my God. I Yeah, I still haven't gone. Um, do you want to do the quick quiz thing that I had? Yeah, absolutely. Like Jack has a fun fun little quick quiz. This was the, the Fitzpatrick quiz. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I guess it's just it's just three questions super quick. Um but it has all things to do with Fitzpatrick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You test your heritage. Test the name. Test what you know about other Fitzpatricks. Okay. Okay. So first one, nicknamed Fitzmagic, this burly Fitzpatrick has found a career in what? A. Competitive food eating. B. A quarterback. Or C. A flautist. So I think I've heard of Fitzpatrick's being in American football. So I'm going to go with quarterback. Yeah. There it is. There it is. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't know right off the bat. I feel like Fitzmagic is just such a well-known term. I almost introduced you as Fitzmagic. (laughs) I get Fitzmagic. Yeah, he was like... Uh, He's been on 14 different teams now. 2005 now, he's been all over the place. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well done. Shout out. Shout out. All right, the next one. This Fitzpatrick, born in 1994 in Sheffield in the UK, recently won what major championship? Okay. Was it... Oh, I guess I phrased the question kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) What major championship did this Fitzpatrick win? His first name's Matthew. Okay. (laughs) Do I, I have no... It's not a multiple choice? No. No. Do you, do you follow... Do you know who Matthew Fitzpatrick is? No. So I'm going to assume it's not American football since we kind of did that already. It's a major. I feel like there are only a few leagues that have a major championship in it. Like baseball? No. I, I'm going to go with golf. Here we go. Oh, there we go. There we go. That's a good one. But now I have to find now names. To figure out, yeah. Golf tournaments. Uh, I can't think of a single one. Uh, wait, the oh yeah, open no open. What is it? Open. The, the open. Has, open. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that. This guy uh, knows it. I never heard of that before. It was, it was in Boston. Really? It was it's ten minutes away yeah. from where we are. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Matthew Fitzpatrick. What's the Fitz magic for you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And this one is also uh, a please fill in the correct answer. Okay. Okay. So, the best friend to the protagonist of the critically acclaimed television series SpongeBob SquarePants wears what size of purple and green swim trunks? What? Why is that a Fitzpatrick question? I don't. Oh, because just because it's Patrick. Patrick. Is it a Patrick size? <laughs> I don't know, but it fits Patrick. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> terrible. All right, yeah, terrible. we're gonna end the podcast after <laughs> that. Uh, Throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything on your mind? Dying to get to the 
the list. Yeah, there's uh, no. The main no, thing yeah. on my yeah. mind <laughs> is the battle. Yeah, yeah. it's the battle. That's a great question. But no, uh, no, it was awesome. It was really nice. Being no, this is fun. Chat. This yeah. is a, a yeah. really good chat. Really yeah. informative at first too. That yeah, I don't know. I think people will find the 3D printing stuff fascinating, and just yeah. the way that medicine is evolving to incorporate so many different fields. Yeah, no, I really love it, and I, I do think the bringing patient tailored solutions to people without the need for you know a tremendous skill set has been like is is amazing and, yeah. and the fact that it's going to keep going that way is absolutely amazing too absolutely yeah all right well we can't thank you enough yeah. for coming out well, this is awesome for inviting me. thank you so all much. right and good luck yeah uh, good thank luck you. overseas when you thank get you back much. let us know yeah i mean I, i'm keeping collaborations going with david so i'll be back regularly so happy to chat anytime awesome but, all right Great. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. All right. If you guys are still listening, thank you so, so much for supporting the podcast. This is unfortunately the end of the episode, but as always, Jack and I have left our emails in the description of this episode. Please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions for us as medical students. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask on an episode, if there are any specific specialties that we have not done that you would like us to do, or if you know anyone who would like to come on the podcast and give advice to prospective students or to residents or to fellows, please, please, please reach out. We love you guys. Thank you for supporting, and we will see you next episode.